Welcome to High Rise, Graystar's Desert Region podcast, your home for multifamily news, data, and insider secrets from operators with boots on the ground. I'm your host, Ian Dangerfield, real estate associate with Graystar. If you'd like to receive an email anytime we post a new episode, sign up for our newsletter via the link in the description. And without further ado, let's jump into the data. In terms of year-over-year rent growth, the desert region continues to outperform the national average. For the Phoenix market, the rent growth in April is just above 8% over last year. Construction is still going strong, with 125 properties under construction in and around Phoenix, with a total of 29,833 units. The highest overall performing submarkets in terms of year-over-year rent growth include Deer Valley, Western Suburbs, Southwest Maricopa County, Mountain Park, and Glendale. For Las Vegas, the year-over-year rent growth in April was just under 8%. There are currently 25 properties under construction in and around Las Vegas, totaling 6,306 units. The top performing submarkets in terms of year-over-year rent growth include North Las Vegas West, Las Vegas Central, Paradise Valley South, Whitney, Summerlin, and Blue Diamond. Jumping over to New Mexico, the year-over-year rent growth ending in April was just under 8%. There are 11 properties under construction in and around Albuquerque, totaling 1,596 units. The top performing submarkets in terms of rent growth year-over-year include Paradise Hills, Northeast, North Valley, South Valley, and West Side. That's it for the data. Let's jump into the interview. In this segment, I had a chance to talk with Robert Hicks and Derek Ionelli. We talk about how COVID changed the multifamily landscape, Graystar's acquisition of Alliance, and market trends in the desert region. But before we jump in, let me give you a little introduction to both men, which should help explain why I'm so excited to have them on. Robert Hicks is our Senior Managing Director of Real Estate at Graystar, with oversight of our operations in the desert region, including Arizona, Nevada, and New Mexico, totaling more than 57,800 units across 218 communities. Prior to transitioning to Graystar, Robert was a Division President for Alliance Residential for 13 years. With more than 23 years of experience in the multifamily industry, his background encompasses all aspects of multifamily housing operations, asset management, new business, and financial analysis. Robert graduated from Arizona State University and currently holds an Arizona real estate license. He has also served as board chair for the Arizona Multifamily Association Board of Directors. Derek is our Director of Client Services, overseeing our new business strategic growth, underwriting and analytics team, and pre-development consulting services in the desert region. Derek has been involved in the onboarding of over 7,500 new units to Graystar's third-party managed portfolio across Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada. Prior to joining Graystar, Derek worked with Transwestern's multifamily capital markets team in Phoenix, where he transacted over $550 million worth of multifamily assets. Derek holds an undergraduate degree with a major in economics and a minor in real estate from Arizona State University and is a licensed salesperson with the Arizona Department of Real Estate. With a passion for expanding personal financial education, Derek is an active member of the Arizona Chapter of Junior Achievement, a nonprofit organization that is focused on teaching financial literacy through a variety of modalities to youth primarily in underserved communities. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. I'd like to give a huge welcome to Robert and Derek to High Rise. This is a very special episode because it is our first and I couldn't ask for better guests than our Senior Managing Director and Director. Thank you, gentlemen, for taking the time. I already gave a little introduction for you both, but I'm curious to hear more of the story of how you got into this industry and how you set yourself apart to reach the level of success that you're at. Robert, if we could start with you. Sure. Great. Thanks, Ian. Um, I graduated from Arizona State and I was recruited out of school by Equity Residential in the late 90s uh, in a junior executive program and was able to parlay that into uh, the rest of my career here through Mark Taylor, Alliance, and now Graystar. 25 years. Excellent. Derek? Sure. Thanks so much, Ian. So like many of us in the industry, 
I started on-site uh, working as a leasing associate for Equity Residential, uh, similar to Robert, also went to ASU myself. Uh, once I graduated from college, I knew that I no longer wanted to be on-site and I wanted to work more on the investment side of the business. Uh, and that's when I started at Transwestern uh, here in Phoenix on the brokerage side. And I did that for many years uh, before joining Graystar. And I've been with us now for about five years. Excellent. Excellent. There's no doubt that your ability to overcome challenges has helped you get here today. One massive challenge our industry and the world face and is still facing is COVID. It's changed how we work, where we live, and potentially changed the unit features residents care about when looking for a new apartment. What is some of the ways property management has changed since COVID? And this is open to either one of you. Sure. You know, it, Ian, as, a, as an industry, we take sometimes uh, longer than we should to make decisions and to move forward, you know, a, a evolution of marketing and, and the leasing process. What COVID forced us to do in a very quick amount of time, a matter of days, really reevaluate and evolve the leasing process, you know, to, to fully online. Uh, we did that, as I said, within days, um, and we're successfully able to, you know, stabilize and maintain our communities, you know, anywhere uh, from 90% plus. That's here to stay. And I think uh, as we do continue to move out of the pandemic, the world now knows how to do it, just like Amazon or, or any other online format. Uh, the multifamily side has figured the way out to do it. Yeah. Derek, what are your thoughts? I would agree with that, Robert. And, you know, the only thing I would add is I think COVID has really shown us, you know, really the continuance of really services as an amenity um, and, you know, really further building out the common area spaces and how we program our communities. You know, we were doing that before COVID. We really saw that shift in the industry uh, and going through COVID now with, you know, some of these Zoom rooms as they're being dubbed uh, and some of these common area spaces, you know, almost less focus on the unit in terms of size uh, and more so on those common spaces, not just for entertainment, but for working purposes um, and our residents' professional lives as well. Interesting. So one of the uh, developments that kind of took our industry by storm was the self-guided and virtual tours. Do you think that those are here to stay? Absolutely. Um, we will see those for the rest of our careers, I believe. I hope we evolve, as I mentioned earlier, you know, where we don't stay stagnant on what they are today. And I know we will not, especially as Graystar. We'll continue to look at it, be nimble, adjust as needed as we come out of the pandemic. But I do believe the profile that live at our communities and will continue to live at our communities will look to lease online at a substantial amount. Absolutely. I, I want to share with the audience a little data that I got. Um, the conversion ratio tours to applications for on-site visits was 11% in March. Property tour, 13%. Self-guided, 12%. Unit tour, 13%. And virtual tour, 15%, which surprised me quite a bit. It, it seems like the, the virtual tours are converting at a, a higher rate than I would think. So I, I would tend to agree that virtual tours are here to stay. How will the rise in work from home jobs affect multifamily supply and demand, specifically here in, in uh, desert region? Well, I think in desert, you know, we are undoubtedly really the beneficiary of kind of this work from home, you know, movement, if you will. We've even seen it, you know, kind of within our family, so to speak, at Graystar, you know, associates moving from coastal markets, you know, really to move, you know, into the valley whether it's, you know, Phoenix, Albuquerque, Las Vegas, you name it, you know, desert really is, uh, you know, kind of the hotbed for that, for, you know, cost of living, uh, you know, lifestyle and amenities. 
Um, and we've definitely seen that, you know, firsthand. In uh, 2019 July to 2020 July, uh, Arizona had a net gain of 129,558 people. And I think that that's a trend that we're going to continue to see once the 2021 numbers come out. What do you think the rise in population means for multifamily? I think, Ian, we're starting to see that, you know, now in, in large part, both, both on the multifamily side for rent, uh, on the for sale side. You know, I, I do think as we see, you know, this new demographic move into, uh, you know, move into the valley, so to speak, really the rise in the BTR product or single level, you know, for rent, uh, you know, kind of purpose built subdivisions, true single family detached, you name it. You know, I think that'll further lend to, you know, really the base that we're starting to see in our demographic and, you know, really call it our renters by choice, you know, individuals that are looking for, you know, the quality space, um, but also, you know, the great amenities, the great lifestyle programming that these communities have to offer. Um, and they don't necessarily want to own a home. Uh, or if we're talking present day, you know, really the shortage of for sale housing um, and how that comes into play where, you know, some folks might not even be able to get a home. Just to add some color to that, you know, with the single family housing inventory so low, we know interest rates are rising, but prices are rising with them. So, you know, on the multifamily side, you know, which we're in, you know, our absorption is is happening quicker than ever. And we're seeing rents increase anywhere from, let's say, 4% to 12% in any given market, which, you know, we'll take all day as we get closer to that 12%. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, as Derek said, we're watching the product evolve, not just, you know, what was typical garden style multifamily, but we're seeing, as he mentioned, the build to rent, the single family rentals. Plus now I believe, you know, the core of the cities will still be, you know, number one uh, in demand, but we are now seeing the high demand from the work from home. People are willing to live again in the suburbs and the further suburbs, especially here in Phoenix and Las Vegas, which they're actually moving out of, you know, the counties that we used to know of as Maricopa and they're going into Pinal and Pima County and actually getting on the edges of the city again because working from home has become so easy and um, prevalent. And you think those single family rentals are more desirable out there, you know, in the less populated areas for those remote wor remote workers, or are mid rise gardens still a viable product on the on the fringes? No, absolutely, and I think that's a great question. You know, you look at certain parts of the valley, um, you know, Goodyear, for example, here in Phoenix. You know, you drive through Goodyear and it, you feel like you're driving through California with all the California license yeah. plates you see. Um, you know, so a lot of these core, you know, really suburban markets that previously call it five to eight years ago really weren't activated. And, you know, quite frankly, nobody wanted to look at them uh, from a development or investment perspective. We've seen that completely shift over the past, call it five years, and especially the past year with COVID. Um, you know, as we've seen a lot of in-migration to, to more of these, you know, call it fringe locations, if you will, as Robert mentioned, you know, Maricopa, Pinal County, um, you know, you name it. So I think we're going to see the continued expansion and build out of these areas um, and across, you know, especially parts of town where we have new freeway systems going in, uh, you know, kind of the completion of the 202, you know, Red Mountain or South Loop, so to speak, uh, to really link the rest of the valley uh, into the West Valley. Um, so I think we're seeing a whole lot more connectedness now. And as the East Valleys really continue to build out, become more and more expensive, you know, everybody's looking for a main and main location. Well, that's, you know, one, hard to find. And two, it's going to be extremely ex expensive. Yeah. Um, and so now we're really seeing the shift towards some more of these suburban, suburban locations 
Um, and as Robert said, you know, really our core, you know, downtown markets um, are still performing uh, extremely well. So we always say we don't want to be overly optimistic, but I think everything, you know, that we're seeing in terms of whether it's on our side, on the apartment side, um, office absorption, employment, you know, you name it, it's it's been quite positive. Yeah. Conventional multifamily housing, if it's garden style, mid-rise or high-rise, will always be in demand. It, it's great locations. Uh, it's great product. Especially in a city like Phoenix, you look at in Las Vegas and Albuquerque, there there is incredible product out there, and it will continue to be in high demand, um, even as as the industry evolves to this other products types, uh, the other product type, excuse me, in these other locations. But the core foundation of our business will always be conventional multi, be it two story, three story, or twenty five story. Along those same lines, you mentioned uh, single family development for remote workers. What's the conversation with developers in terms of unit features or amenities that cater more towards those remote workers? I think on the BTR single family side of the game, you know, really generally we're seeing just an overall increase in the level of finish and really how how that kind of product is amenitized um, and how it's changed over the years. We've now seen you know, many different iterations of what that looks like. Uh, you know, now we're starting to see really kind of this higher level from an architecture perspective. Um, you know, if you talk about floor plans, a lot of the inclusion of, you know, call it a den or work from home space. But I would say a lot more emphasis on, you know, on how those are planned and how they're overall, you know, built into the floor plans. Meaning, you know, it used to be when we would look at a floor plan with a den, it was kind of a, you know, closed off, you know, room, you know, door, no door, no window. And, you know, now the the, the dens, knowing that they're really going to turn into more of a work from home space, uh, are more, you know, thoughtful and kind of how they're built out. And, you know, maybe they do include a built-in desk. You know, maybe there is more natural light, so it's more conducive to working at home. Um, and I think in the common areas, you know, very similar. You know, I would say generally speaking, again, we were seeing this before COVID, uh, certainly now, you know, going through COVID and work from home, you know, really community-wide Wi-Fi and the importance that we're seeing there. And not just Wi-Fi, but good Wi-Fi, yeah. right? We all know that's that, very the fiber important. internet, yeah. Exactly. Um, and, you know, and I think that's really held true across, you know, really all product types, whether it's the BTR uh, or the conventional space as well. You know, it's technology packages, you know, to segue off of Derek in, in the individual units, you know, for our residents is, is if it's just not Wi-Fi, it's, it would be a technology package that would include, you know, a front door lock system, a lighting system, uh, a home monitoring system. Smart package is, mm -hmm. is key right now. We know that Genie's already out of the bottle, but boy, it's something you really have to put in, you know, either retrofit or as you're designing and developing, you have to put it in. The second thing I think is really the functionality, the space, you know, the common spaces. Um, can they be used when things go bad? You know, dog parks uh, to fitness centers to swimming pools. How do you program those and build those in a way where if the world does turn upside down on us, there's still useful areas for our residents who can become, you know, locked into their community, um, you know, at times and be able to function through those, even if on a limited basis. Absolutely. I, I think we've seen a, a shift culturally with the mask wearing for over a year. People got comfortable with it. And for the most part, when when required, people don't really object too hard. And this isn't going to be the last, you know, flu or something else. We, we have one every few years. The severity of, of it, you know, varies. 
And so planning for those eventualities, I think, is a, a good forethought for sure. Transitioning from COVID, COVID wasn't the only thing that shook up our world last year. We also made waves in the multifamily industry with Graystar's acquisition of Alliance. I personally think it's a classic case of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. Derek, you were a part of Graystar before the acquisition. From your perspective, how has Graystar changed with the addition of the Alliance portfolio and team members? The addition of the Alliance portfolio and team members um, has really been nothing but a positive for us at Graystar from my perspective. You know, the Alliance team um, and really property set, especially on the development side, you know, really raised the bar, so to speak, for us at Graystar, you know, to really solidify our space in the class A market, you know, the true best in class operator, the true lease up operator. Uh, and of course, from a people perspective, you know, the quality of the assets, um, you know, really ran in line with the quality of the people too. You know, we've been the beneficiary of some amazing industry talent. And now that we've really joined forces as one, uh, you know, again, I think it really does solidify our position as, you know, the best in class uh, provider. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Robert, you were with Alliance before the acquisition. Being part of a company that's being acquired tends to result in a lot of people leaving to accept jobs elsewhere. With your experience and record of success, I know you could have taken a position in another company. I'm sure there were plenty of offers, which means there must have been a good reason for you to stay. Why did you decide to stay? Super simple. Great people. Um, period. You know, um, my world, you know, being here in Phoenix, uh, was about the people I got to work with, um, my continued, you know, the same staff that I was with here at, you know, at Alliance now with Graystar, I get to work with what were personal friends and still are personal friends or even, uh, very valued competitors. And now we've become as one. And for me, that was important where it was the best of both worlds where, Alliance and Grace are coming together, became two best-in-class companies now as one. And again, we look at our business, it's, it's two things. It's people and the real estate. And combining those two things as, as our two companies, as Graystar now, has been nothing short of the reason I'm staying. Because again, the focus on the people and who we are now as a company uh, has my commitment to stay and, and continue to see this uh, through. Absolutely. As, as a employee, you know, on the team, I don't, I don't manage anybody, but I've personally seen the melding of cultures and team members. So I couldn't agree more. Uh, coming up, we're coming up on a year since the transition. What has been the best part of joining forces? Sure. People, as we said, that that's un, undoubted, but really the resources, you know, the, the talented, uh, departments, you know, our department heads and the people that work in them from accounting to human resources to, you know, our advantage solutions, purchasing, you know, departments are top quality. I, I've never seen anything like it, you know, a year later, just the amount of resources we can provide to ourselves as associates, but really to our clients and the communities that we manage. Um, the data that we're able to ascertain is, is unbelievable now, especially in a city like Phoenix due to our size. You know, Derek and I, with our operators, can dial into within a half a penny what rents should be on any given corner, what a bucket of paint should cost to, you know, what a concession is. And I think that is really the game changer for all of us who are in this industry and associated with Graystar is just the quality and the quantity of information we have access to. 
I think you're spot on, Robert. The only thing I would add to that, you know, really is just going through and taking, you know, the best practices and the best approach from each, you know, respective company as they once were, and now really joining forces again to make sure that we can deliver, you know, the best in class management services to our clients. Um, and really from an investment management perspective too, I think combining forces, really taking the best approach from each company um, has elevated us even further. Absolutely. I want to give you guys a chance to respond because Graystar was big before and is even bigger now since the acquisition. What would you say to the potential client that maybe has one or two property properties who is hesitant to use Graystar because they don't want to end up as a small fish in a big pond? That's a great question. It's something Derek and I with our operators tackle on a daily basis. It's the great misnomer, though, of working with Graystar, in my opinion, where what we've done is really boiled our markets down to having great lead operators in each market with great regional managers. We've added more talent and more resources to offset that where maybe at our previous companies or the iterations that they were, we were doing more with less. Today, we're trying to do more with more, meaning uh, our regional to community count is lower. Our director to regional count is lower because we're really focusing on the quality of the associate that's taking care of one of our clients' communities. So Robert, if I'm hearing you right, it's basically like the education industry where the grade average is improved the smaller the classroom. When the teacher has more time to individually work with the students, in this case properties, it results in a better product. Absolutely. We want to keep our community to regional level as low as possible on the average for our client's sake, where we can really offer the best in class operators to really focus on our clients and what their communities need from an NOI basis. Pure and simple, less communities to a regional creates a better NOI. And to add on to that, Ian, I would just add that, you know, what what a lot of clients might not realize is Graystar really does operate truly at that regional or divisional level. So of course, Robert leads our region here in the desert. Um, you know, everything that we do aligns with the overall Graystar, uh, you know, best practices and business plan, of course. Um, but all of our decisions are made here locally. Um, and, you know, our average client in the desert has two properties with us. And I think that might take um, a lot of people by surprise to hear that. Um, so we really do operate, um, you know, with our global footprint behind us. Um, and of course, all the benefits that come from that, from purchasing power to talent, you know, you talk about COVID and, you know, really having an operating partner that was able to move quickly, you know, and really deploy a lot of these solutions for our clients. So of course we use all of that to our advantage, but when it comes to, as Robert mentioned, you know, the regional, um, you know, kind of allocation in terms of number of properties, you know, all of that, because we have the resources, it's extremely low, um, you know, clients, you know, high level of attention, uh, from all of our operators, certainly from the client services side as well. Um, and, you know, really operating with that boutique kind of, of mindset um, and keeping it, you know, kind of small focus, uh, global footprint. While last year was a crazy one, it seems like all trends are pointing towards growth in 2021. What's the most surprising market trend you noticed over the last year? You know, Ian, I think really the most you know, surprising trend, if you will, that we've seen is really just the resilience of the multifamily market. 
Um, and resilience, not just in your core locations that we've you know seen over the years, uh, but really the resilience and further build out or new interest, um, you know, in some of these call it fringe locations or locations that hadn't always had the spotlight on them. You know, you look at many locations throughout, whether it's the Phoenix Metro, Las Vegas Metro, um, and even throughout New Mexico into Santa Fe, you know, really new interest um, in new locations, uh, which is further expanding, you know, really all of our, you know, states, so to speak, um, in terms of where people live um, and how people want to live. You know, Ian, um, you know, to, to add to what Derek said is our clients are looking for yield. You know, there are new markets now where there's, you know, the opportunity to go in different markets and just what we thought is central Las Vegas or central Phoenix or central Albuquerque. We have great opportunity now, um, you know, for our current clients and potential clients in places such as Santa Fe, New Mexico, Tucson, Arizona, Flagstaff, Arizona, you look even in Phoenix and you say, Queen Creek has become a very robust town for us. And um, we've seen some great success stories with some of our clients who are out there and are currently in that market. So the expansion of the markets and the opportunity to play in some different markets than just what were the cliche markets in any one of our given states, the expansion of that is what I think has been the biggest um, you know, change for us over the last year. Earlier, we talked about the single family or BTR. Let's dive into that a little bit more. Recently, that I've been hearing more about it. Why the interest in this build type? I think it's an extremely attractive uh, living option, you know, for, for a lot of our renters by choice. Um, you know, you're always going to have that subset of renter that doesn't want to live necessarily in your, you know, standard, you know, stacked style, you know, garden or even mid-rise kind of building. You know, they like having... Uh, you know, more of that single family feel, um, you know, some of that private yard component, uh, you know, typically, as Robert mentioned earlier, the technology package, um, you know, and really all of those features that make the apartment feel a whole lot more like home, high ceilings, you know, it really checks all of those boxes, but you still have, you know, really the, uh, you know, the ability to live within a community where you do have a lot of that lifestyle programming, you know, we see a lot of that in this in this space, and a lot of resident events, you know, you name it, with very heavy on the resident programming. And I think that's a huge draw uh, of, of this kind of product versus traditional garden uh, or mid-rise assets. Uh, and, you know, of course, on the for sale side as well. With our developers, you know, we have some of the greatest ones in, in the business. And, you know, they look at it as it's not one size fits all. And that's what we've really done as an industry and as really as Graystar to say, what segments can we really focus on in any given population and really cater to them? If it's BTR, if it's garden style, high rise in a very urban core part of a city, or if it's even active adult or student living, it's, it's really the focus on meeting the needs of any prospect and segment of our industry that's looking to rent with us. I, heard, I saw a report recently that millennials are looking to buy houses now. Obviously, demand is crazy high and nobody can afford the prices from my generation. And as product is developed, do you still think that multifamily housing, the single family units will remain strong or is that generation starting to shift more towards the owning of home? I still think society is looking to be mobile. You know, uh, we used to do something many years ago with our onsite teams is really when a prospect comes in and they're vacillating between buying or renting, we can quickly do for them um, a cost to rent analysis 
And I think today, as you look at it, as we know, inflation, um, the cost of gas, interest rates going up, the services and goods that go into owning a single family home have become very expensive just outside of the mortgage. And living at one of our communities at Graystar offers, I think, that millennial a great lifestyle, a great location, a great amenity package at what we believe is a better cost per month than what owning a single family home may be for them. I think you're spot on, Robert. In fact, funny you asked this, Ian. I just had this conversation with a client the other day. And, you know, my answer to him was was really twofold. It was what you had just mentioned, Robert. Um, and then just anecdotally, I added on that, you know, we've seen the BTR product in the market for many, many years now. Um, and we've seen demand for the product, um, you know, really be extremely strong, really from day one. So when you talk about over the past, you know, call it year, year and a half, where we've seen, you know, the for sale housing really skyrocket, um, prices skyrocket, costs skyrocket, um, you know, there is some question about, you know, how much of your demographic or how much of your renter in the BTR space, um, you know, is really going to be, you know, how are you going to be affected by that if, you know, everyone's pushing to purchase a home? Um, and my response to him was, was, you know, was exactly that, that we've seen this product in the market for many, many years now. Um, and the demand has really always been there. And then I think you add on the component of, you know, people still desiring to be mobile. Um, I think that just further solidifies the case. Now, on the flip side of uh, that product type, uh, I've been hearing more about micro units, you know, very small square footage, localized, um, but still with all the features of a normal unit, you know, washer dryer, the whole the whole deal, just very small square footage studio. Do you think micro units could perform well in our market? I've heard about them over in Austin, but I haven't heard anything here. Absolutely. It goes back to my notion of one size does not fit all. I think in you know today's day and age, with how technology is moving, the ability to store, uh, the ability to buy, the ability to eat, and the ability to move has really, I think, the advent of these units, especially in a market like Phoenix and Las Vegas, is allowing um, a very broader uh, you know population than what we used to think for some of these type of units to really come into and market to and really have successfully for our clients who will build or buy those. And, you know, to add what Robert said, I think, you know, really the demographic that we're going to see, you know, in this space for micro units, uh, which is a new concept for us uh, here in Phoenix, uh, we will have our first tower delivering here at the end of the year that are true micro units. Um, you know, it's, we just live in this world now where people don't have a lot of stuff. You know, it is really based in technology and what's, what that's done for us. Um, you know, I think really living in a space where you have, just what you need and even buying furniture from, you know, Wayfair or Ikea, you know, that's really a lot more akin to this type of, you know, kind of micro unit living, minimalist type of living. Um, and so it's not like you're really going against stream on it. It's kind of, you know, you have a lot working in your favor, um, you know, and I think too, what we're seeing, if we go back to the work from home, you know, kind of question, what, what we know from our residents and our data People that work from home don't necessarily work or want to work um, from their apartment. They want to work from the common area spaces or they want to work from the local coffee shop. Um, so, you know, again, when you look at the unit itself, uh, it's almost just kind of, you know, your landing pad, you know, to, to sleep at night, you know, maybe cook a meal, but probably order it in via DoorDash or some other service. Um, and really, you know, throughout the day, you're working from a common space at the community or the local coffee shop. So 
I think it's a conversation we're going to be hearing a lot more of. Of course, this product type um, does exist in other markets. Um, so I think to get into, you know, Phoenix or Las Vegas, whatever it might be, um, it will be new, but I think we'll adapt. And I think they're going to do very well just knowing what we know about our renters. And to piggyback off of that, uh, one thing that I heard from our counterparts uh, in a different region that does have the micro units is to make sure to not skimp on parking. There was an assumption with that developer that the the people living in those micro units would be biking to work or doing things. And um, I think people just still like their cars. And so make sure if you're planning on building micro units that you account for, you know, at least one one spot per unit. Absolutely. Parking will still be king, especially in, in states like Arizona and Nevada. It's it's mother nature. It's, you know, yeah. um, we have some very great walkability in certain parts of our cities. But if you think about it, when it's 110 outside, <laughs> yeah. even the best walk scores don't count. Yeah, absolutely. What what are some of the new amenities that you've seen uh, that you think it have a shot of, of becoming popular? Anything that's new and different that you could see, you know, spreading to other communities? You know, Ian, I think the Zoom rooms are here to stay. Um, you know, of course, we've now seen, you know, even in a relatively short period of time, you know, really across all of our markets here in the desert, you know, how these spaces have evolved, um, you know, where you might take a large conference room and we don't really see that as much anymore. We see kind of that space where the conference room would be um, and we see different, you know, spaces, you know, partition spaces. Um, you know, I've seen at some communities, each space kind of has its own uh, unique design to it and unique feel. Um, so I think those are definitely here to stay. Sure. What I've seen, and this is what we tend to grapple with as an industry, is really how do we monetize some of the outside amenities, such as dry cleaning services, food services, uh, even parking services. We we need to look at our, our communities and say, one, can we gain a form of revenue, ancillary income from some of those services? And two, I think is really uh, if we can or cannot, how do we get those type of services into our buildings for our residents. Uh, easy. If it's DoorDashes or Uber Eats to a dry cleaning service, can we make that process still as easy for our residents as possible? And is there potential to gain revenue for our clients? What are some new technologies that you think will greatly affect the multifamily industry? I think the biggest thing, you know, especially Grace, what we're really looking to focus on, you know, in a very rapid way is is the ease we can have a prospect go into our website and lease an apartment. Still in today's day and age, it can take two, three, four days for that process, you know, to go from start to finish, you know, on an approval side. We need to as an industry, but we as Graystar are quickly figuring out a way to get this process done as quick as purchasing an airline ticket, purchasing a rental car, or purchasing, you know, a hotel online. It takes a matter of minutes, and that's where we need to get as a as a not just Graystar, but as an industry. How do you foresee the multifamily real estate buying and selling trends fluctuate through the rest of 2021 and into 2022? You know, I think in the desert states between Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada, um, you know, all three states still present a tremendous uh, opportunity for investment. Um, and yields, you know, with, with a lot of runway remaining. We've seen growth uh, across all three markets, no doubt. Um, but I think relatively speaking, uh, all three or all three states, I should say, really are, you know, relatively 
uh, kind of early on in the process. You know, I think, you know, these states are no longer flyover states. Um, and going back to, you know, what Robert had said earlier, you know, it's no longer Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Albuquerque. It's Tucson. It's Santa Fe. It's it's a lot of new markets. And, you know, something that we really, you know, kind of describe to clients almost on a daily basis is, you know, in these markets, it really is a new day. And if you haven't looked in Phoenix in a while, if you haven't looked in Las Vegas Metro in a while, you know, the demographics are different um, and these markets are operating differently. Um, so uh, to answer your question, uh, I think all three, you know, states present a really solid opportunity. Um, and, you know, from all perspectives, lifestyle, uh, cost of living, uh, you know, kind of the low uh, government intervention, uh, all make for, you know, attractive investment opportunities. If you were a buyer investor or developer and you could build anywhere in the nation or, or invest anywhere in the nation, what is your best argument for building investing in Arizona, uh, New Mexico, or Nevada? My answer would be very simple. We have some of the best micro and macro economics in, in these three states. The job creation, you know, that's really what drives our industry, jobs. Again, as Derek said, we, we have great lifestyle in each of these states. We have, you know, Mother Nature is relatively kind to us, except for the heat, you know, in, in Nevada and Arizona, but that's four months out of the year. Really, it's the job creation, though, that we're seeing in, in all three states and, and the ability to uh, build and then create a rent structure that's, that's very advantageous for our investors and clients. Thanks again, gentlemen, for both taking the time to do our first podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Ian. I know Derek and I will speak for him, you know, for myself here that this has been fun. It's been, you know, hopefully educational and insightful for, for those listening. And again, we look forward to doing more of this and inviting some other guests and uh, stay tuned because uh, more to come. As Robert said, I hope you found this podcast to be insightful. If you enjoyed this program, let us know by subscribing or send us feedback via the link in the description. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to get notified anytime we post a new episode. The link for that is also in the description. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to High Rise.